All right, here we go. On Father's Day, Sunday morning in Las Vegas, post-parade Sunday morning in Las Vegas, I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. studio every Sunday at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, Las Vegas flagship station of... The Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights, and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. The we also include social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Uh, yeah, that, that, that is uh, The Wiz um, has his own theme music, and there's a reason for that. And producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing and being a part of a lot of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, Mags also serves as the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network and the host of the UNLV pre-pre-game show, and that's the football pre-pre-game show on our other sister station, ESPN Radio Las Vegas. We are also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. YouTube, the page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp., whether purchasing a new home or refinancing. The home you already own, Residential Bank Corp., is the company to turn to for all of your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp., funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 to get information on all of the home financing options currently available in Nevada. On Tap, Spencer, if you've got it, play it, man. And uh, that is We Are the Champions, as you heard by Queen, but it was uh, performed last night by uh, a crowd of a couple hundred thousand people. And I don't know if you had a chance to go there or not, but I got to tell you something. Um, it uh, One of the coolest uh, things I have uh, ever seen in my life, I've attended, I think, five parades in Detroit. Um, my favorite one, the 1984 uh World Series uh, parade, but um, afterwards Detroit got a little bit crazy, man. They burned some police cars. They uh, they, they lit the city on fire, and I, I was so ashamed sitting on a billboard after I just witnessed my first ever world championship. I mean, I saw the 68 World Series. I saw one game. I was a little boy. I was, you know, I don't remember even going, but I know that I was there. i put it that way. And, um, you know, 484 was disappointing. This was something epic. Chris, I, I know you didn't go yesterday. I almost didn't go. I got my credential uh, late um, yesterday morning. And I'm like, you know, I got the credential. I may go down. I may not. I get down there, and it is just a melee of, of cars and traffic. And so I end up going into Aria, and I'm trying to get to the Aria event garage, but I couldn't get over there. So I, like, pull up to the valet, and I'm like, hey, I can't get over there. I got to get in by a certain time. Like, nothing we can do. And um, they ended up, I ended up parking for free anyways. They saw the media credential when I got done, and it was pretty cool that they let me out of there, but um, I made it just in time over, you know, about half hour before the parade, I made it over to the stage where they let the media go, and um, 
I was just, it, it, it was astonishing. I mean, Spencer will be playing him throughout, but you can see the, the crowds there. It was astonishing, man. I mean, just a sea of people like I've never seen before. And the cool thing about it was how well-behaved everyone knew. It's, yeah, there was drinking, marijuana, you could smell it. You couldn't walk five feet without smelling pot. But you know what? I saw one fight break out in front of the media stage. Chris, there was 10 security guards within minutes grabbing both those guys before they could even take a punch in the, uh, at each other and get them out of there. It was that cool. Yeah, uh, I watched on television, and it was it was pretty cool. It looked like there were a lot of people. Um, you know, look, reminded me of New Year's a bit um, without the amateur hour aspect of it. Um, look, I mean, I think when you scour social media, you see a lot of people with nonsensical takes who don't live here. And what I'm saying is people who, oh, well, look, they don't know how to celebrate. And it's like, first of all, the videos I've seen are all three hours after the game ended. We have other places to go. This isn't, uh, you know, a small market. This is a big major city that has venues where people can go celebrate. We don't need to flip over cars. We don't need to burn trash cans. I didn't see any of that. You know, I talked to a Metro officer after the game. He was down on the ice and, you know, he mentioned that, that, it was very well behaved and, you know, they weren't really sure what to expect, but he said, you know, everyone was on their best behavior, you know, and, and I heard something in the parade last night. I don't remember if it was, it was governor Joe Lombardo who said it, it may, it may have been. And he made the comment about the team united the city after October 1st, 2017. And then he said the team united the city again this past Tuesday night. And he's right. Like, like, like when you think about it, like, I mean, I'm not, I, I didn't vote for Joe Lombardo, but I, I appreciate the comments that he made. Like, I'm not, I'm, I, I thought it was pretty cool to see him and to see the way he embraced being the governor of a, of a state that won a championship. I'm not happy that he signed off on the A stadium deal. Like that, that, that bugged me, but that's, a, that's neither here nor there. The, the big thing is he's right when he makes that comment. Like, I don't think people outside of Las Vegas will ever fully grasp what this team means to the city because of what happened on that last no preseason question. game. Like if you live in, in, in Tampa or if you live in Denver or if you live in Dallas or you live in Montreal, you're never going to understand. No, it was, you know, Chris, I, it, it was an it, an act, the, w one of the greatest tragedies in American history, definitely the biggest tragedy in Las Vegas history. And it was something when that happened, you know, everyone was just kind of in shock. It was an amazing thing. I have friends that, that almost went. I have friends that went. I have, I have a friend that got shot. Um, you know, I have a friend that, that helped the lady that got shot and was a hero when they put him on that uh, Millionaire Pyramid show. Um but what happened with the Vegas Golden Knights, they immediately came out of the gate successful. And everyone started almost immediately, Chris, paying attention about four or five games in. It's like, wow, what's going on here? This team looks pretty good. And it it wasn't that they caught lightning in a bottle. They just kept going. And, you know, I've heard people, which is really one of the most aggravating things to me. And matter of fact, I just was in a Facebook argument with an old guy who used to, not an old guy, but a guy that used to work for me. And he's from St. Louis. And he says, I can't stand the Vegas Golden Knights. That that team was loaded, this, that, and the other. They, you know, for, right out of the get-go, I go, let me explain something to you first and foremost. Number one, every team had the opportunity to protect 
10 players and a goaltender. None of these guys were considered, the best of them were third-line players. Okay, number one, number two is these guys came in with a tremendous chip on their shoulder, Like, and you would have never known it by the way that they acted. They were just happy to be here, happy to be part of this thing. Marc-Andre Fleury, probably the biggest chip on his shoulder, and yet you would have never known it. One of the nicest professional athletes I've ever met. I've talked about it a number of times. They came in and did something that was nothing short of miraculous. This is an expansion team. These are guys that did not play together, most of them, and they learned how to play together. They learned how to love each other, and they all accepted the fact, hey, we were kind of unwanted orphans. And they used that to their advantage, and they took the first year and went to the Stanley Cup Finals. And as you said, this community changed. When I first came here, I used to tell people, it's kind of weird. People don't look each other in the eyes. There's so many people, but nobody says hello to each other. You can't run into three. It's a very different city. It's it's, it's unlike a lot of other cities. Very transient. And you you can't run into five people. There's no way in hell you're going to meet five people in a row that are all born and raised in Las Vegas. It doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, you meet Spencer. None of us. I, I mean, None of us. Yeah. And so my point is, is that after this tragedy, what the Golden Knights did was they kind of bonded the community. They were almost like super glue for us. All of a sudden, people are more friendly. People look you in the eyes. It's like we had this internal camaraderie that it's unexplainable. Like you said, if you're from somewhere else, you don't know. I've never seen anything like it in my life to the point that when the Stanley Cup Finals came, the first year the final came, the first year against Washington... You know, it was very emotional for all of us. And I know you and I both, after the the Knights won the Stanley Cup, and I'm from Detroit, I'm wearing my shirt saying I'm a Detroit fan. Chris, I got tears in my eyes, man. I started to cry. I mean, it was that emotional. Like, it, it's the culmination of everything over all these years. It just kind of came out like, wow, this is one of the most amazing runs and things I've ever experienced in my entire life. Yeah, for starters, anyone who thought that this team was loaded year one is an idiot. I'm sorry. You had William Carlson, who was a fourth-line guy in Columbus. You had Florida, who gave the Golden Knights Riley Smith so they would take Jonathan Marsh or so. You had the Minnesota Wild with their nonsense. Take Hey, look, take Alex Tuck so you don't take Eric. Pittsburgh or, or said, Matt hey, Dumbo. Murray's a much better goalie yep. than Fleury. Yeah. See you later so, with your two Stanley Cups. So you, you cannot look and, and criticize the way that George McPhee, who was the general manager that year, built this team because because other general managers were stupid. Yep. There's no other way to put it. Other general managers were stupid. Well, Chris, and 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 for people, it, it drives me nuts because everyone remembers the Golden Knights going to the Stanley Cup final that year. What they don't remember, or what they choose not to remember, is the. This team's going to have 60 points. This is going to be the worst expansion team ever. Remember the old Major League and the guys holding up the newspaper? And it says, who are these guys? That's what every we major... We all kind of thought Nobody that. knew who William Carrier was. No. Nobody knew who William Carlson was. Shea Theodore got cut and went down to Chicago to start the season. Yeah, so, so I mean, the idea that, that this team was loaded out of the gate is just nonsense. No, it is. It is incri- and, and, and you know what it is? It's a lazy argument by someone who doesn't well, know what they're now, talking about. Well, even now, and he says, well, now, look at how loaded you are. I'm like, there are six players that were part of this team originally. This is a brand new team. Every NHL team has the ability to go out and do what the Vegas Golden Knights did. The thing is, is number one, Bill Foley is a committed owner to winning, yep. and number two is, as you mentioned, George McPhee is a flippin' hockey architect. That a, Bill, a, a William Carlson moment, but look what he did with the with the uh, look what he did with the Olympic Capitals, team. Capitals. The, well, the Capitals, but no, the Olympic team as as a young man underneath uh, uh, you know Herbie. Uh, 
Herb Brooks, he helped him out tremendously, you know, forming forming that team. And he saw how to do it by working under Herb Brooks. Comes here, literally is the architect, hires Gerard Galan, a perfect hire for this team to get started, and puts this team together. And then when he steps aside, moves kind of up the ladder, hire, you know, brings in Kelly to take over. What does this guy do? I, I'm going to say, Chris, and I'll, and I'll ask Dan because we got to give him a call. But, you know, what does he do? He goes out and makes some unbelievable moves at this year's trading deadline. I, I would argue with anybody that Barbashev was the best acquisition at the trading de- or close to the trading deadline by any team in the National Hockey League. He was one of the top scorers, top number 10 in scoring in the NHL playoffs, and this guy was picked up and let go of. A former Stanley Cup champion himself, huge to be able to pick up a person like that at the end. And then to get Jonathan Quick, like I said, I think Aiden Hill paid, you know, I think Jonathan Quick paid dividends, not even playing to guys like Aiden Hill, Aiden Hill that seemed to pick up his game when when Jonathan Quick came aboard, and again, Teddy Bluger didn't play a ton in the playoffs, but when he did, he was affected, had a big goal, and really played well for this team down the stretch. And I got to tell you, a a lot of credit needs to be given to the upper management of this team and the coaching staff, and then to go out this year, give up on Pete DeBoer, which I don't think they did in a couple years, but to go out and get a coach like Bruce Cassidy, a defensive-minded coach that absolutely uh, has has taken this team and was, I think, the final mold that they really needed to really form this team. They listened to him, and his philosophy has been tremendous, and part of the reason this team is just collapsing on defense, especially you get anywhere around their their net, they protect like as, as good as anybody in this team. Listen, I want to get right out on the phone lines right now on the uh, Residential Bank Corp uh, Fox Sports studio line is um, Dan Duva. He's been the play-by-play guy for the Vegas Golden Knights since day one here on Fox Sports Radio. And Dan has done a great job. Some people say he's about the best in the business. If you've listened to him, does a great job calling the game. Dan, really takes uh, appreciate taking some time out to join the show, especially after last night. Good morning. It is a beautiful morning in Las Vegas, isn't it? A beautiful Father's Day morning. A lot of fathers here in Vegas pretty happy. Um, Dan, your experience, you know, just starting right off to, you know, you get the job here at the Vegas Golden Knights. That first year, Chris and I just talked about it, just as magical as anything I've ever been a part of. I tell people all the time, it's something you don't even put on your bucket list because it's a waste of time for something like that to happen, and yet it did. A lot of people felt, well, maybe they just caught lightning in a bottle that year. This team was, you know, felt underappreciated. Obviously, all these guys cast offs. And now look what it's culminated with exactly what Bill Foley said he wanted six years in a Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, if you bring up a few really thought provoking points there, Brian. If, if, first of all, very kind of you to say the things that you said about my work. I appreciate it very much. And then the next thing that comes to mind is how unbelievable it was to just get this job in the first place. You know, when you think about it, an expansion team. You know, it's it's uh, it's great for the league. It's great for the city. But you know, the people in uh, the industry. I like to joke sometimes that there are more United States senators than there are, you know, NHL broadcasters. So I felt very fortunate to be in this position. Um, and you, know, you talk about the success of the team. I was just blown away that they gave me a shot at the job six years ago. And I remember coming out here and uh, before. Um, you know, I even started was, I just was trying to find somewhere to live and I came out and I just, I I took a late flight and I couldn't help. I was staying at a hotel on the strip at the time just for a couple of nights and I, I just couldn't sleep. I was that excited. It was three in the morning and I just walked up 
uh, the park near New York, New York, toward T-Mobile Arena. I hadn't seen it in person. And, uh, you know, there was nobody around because it was middle of summer and it was 3 in the morning, and uh, it was surreal. So uh, last night at the parade, just thinking about and seeing that scene again, just filled with thousands and thousands of people, is uh, just, just nuts to try to, you know, wrap your head around that. But the thing is that the Golden Knights leadership, as you point out, uh, you know, they, they've made this work. Um, as much as all of us were in disbelief or in amazement, you know, there are people who, you know, ha- put a lot into doing exactly what has happened. You know, it wasn't a fluke for them. It wasn't crazy for them. They had to do a lot of things. We're talking, of course, about George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon and Vaughn Carpin and the whole hockey operations department. You know, a lot of the you know, choices that are made based on advice of scouts and amateur scouts, pro scouts, and then, the, you know, the top brass. And that includes Bill Foley as well. Uh, it, it, like, they are extremely talented, experienced, smart, calculating hockey people. Uh, but they always said, and what George McPhee has reiterated in the last couple of days, uh, start with character, start with people. Um, and, and that has really been uh, a mark of this year's team, um, I think, in a way that they really approached the first year. I think that they got back to that point. Bill Foley said as much in his press conference that it was really the number one criteria. There's a lot of other important things you want in the person you bring in, player or staff or whatever, but number one has to be character. You know, Dan, couldn't be better said. This team, I say all the time, I mean, covering all the different sports, I've always thought hockey players were the, had the smallest egos, put it that way. And I, I joke about it saying, well, it's because most of them aren't from the United States. But they're always the most incredible to interview. And when you talk about yourself, you know, getting the job, it's really cool to hear that, Dan. Again, um, for you to come in and do the job you did is great. A good friend of mine from Detroit grew up, and all he ever wanted to do was play-by-play. He got the opportunity. You probably know him. His name's Ken Cal. And I've always thought Kenny yeah. was one of the best in the business. I worked with him in Detroit for five years. Uh, and uh, and And you kind of remind me of him. I mean, it's, it's, it's a similar excitement that you have when you broadcast the game, and we appreciate it. Uh, Ken grew up wow. listening to Bruce Martin and Rick Mickey Redman, and he used to sit there and print, pretend on a tape recorder, and yep. one day he's mm-hmm. the guy, and now he here he is years later as one of the best in the business also. So it's cool to see that. But, you know, Dan, we, we just talked about October 1 of 2017 in this city. And you had just arrived. You, you All of a sudden, here you are, the, the biggest tragedy in Las Vegas history, one of the biggest in U.S. history, happens right here, a, a very unbelievable thing. And then the Golden Knights do what they did. Did you feel, I mean, even though being a newcomer at that time, how that incident and then the Golden Knights united and put, brought this community together? No doubt, and I have uh, said this before, and it, have, of course, has been talked about quite a bit in the last few days, which just underscores uh, the, um, you know, the, the connection that this community has to this team um, and that uh, how much the team helped the community and the community helped the team in uh, that very dark time. But I did think about, you know, again, I, I've been asked about, you know, how do you get through that as broadcaster and um, you know, t- tell the story without getting sucked in emotionally into it. It was very difficult, but I did think about how um, when I was in high school in New Jersey, uh, September 11th occurred, and uh, th- though it was not the National Hockey League, I was broadcasting my high school's football games, and we had a number of people in our town who died at the World Trade Center, including one of my friend's dads, um, who was very involved in the, the football organization, and um, 
you know, I, I just think back not only with how we tried to handle it, you know, in our town, but you know, the entire New York area in the days afterward, there were no sports. And then eventually major league baseball was the first to come back. The Mets played at home and Mike Piazza hit that great homer. And, you know, weeks later, the Yankees were in the world series and just the, the, the thought that it was okay to smile, um, because, you know, you just, you, when you walk down the street and you ask somebody, you know, how's it going? Like you, you couldn't say, oh, I'm great. How are you? You couldn't say that. <laughs> uh, it was just so dark and you needed some way to be uplifted. And uh, that's what professional sports did for, for people in the New York area after September 11th. And then to think that those teams had been around for, you know, decades. Yankees have been around for a hundred years. Um, here in Las Vegas, the team literally just started when all of this happened here. But if they arrived just in time uh, to, to be a, a beacon for this community so that, you know, they win the first two games on the road and then they come back here. It's, it's less than two weeks after the shooting. and Derek Englund delivers that incredible speech. Then they go out and score four goals in a blink of an eye and win that first game and propels them to the, the greatest expansion season in sports history. But again, when uh, Derek delivered that speech, I, I said it on the radio, sometimes there are tears of sadness, sometimes there are tears of joy, and then there are tears of the kind we just experienced because people were crying and cheering at the same time. And then when you know the night started scoring, it felt okay to smile. It felt okay to cheer. No, really well said. And, and, and same way in the playoffs, I said that year, when the Stanley Cup Finals got here, that game one, and when they're doing the pregame presentation and everything, I said, man, I feel like Uncle Fester. Like, the atmosphere was so energetic in the building in T-Mobile. And give me a light bulb, I'll put it in my mouth. I'll bet it'll illuminate. I mean, that's that's what it felt like. And it, it was an incredible thing. And as I said, Chris and I, uh, Dan, when they won, you know, Chris Chapman and I were sitting right down the row from each other down in the auxiliary media section. And I look over at him, we both got tears in our eyes. I mean, it was a very emotional thing to see this team from year one and to feel so good for guys like Jonathan Marcheseau and William Carlson and William Carrier and you know Shea Theodore a guy that was let go at the beginning of the 2017 season and matter of fact after you get off the air we're going to play it I talked to William Car- or excuse me to uh, Shea Theodore on the ice after the game and I talked mm. to him when he first came back up in 2017 I go man are you happy to be back you know it was only a couple weeks ago you went down he goes I'm never going back down yeah, and, then, right. and then during the interview he said <laughs> that I guess uh, George McPhee had come to him and said, look, man, I really want to apologize for cutting you that first year. So we'll play that interview when we're done talking to you. But, you know, just just everything was magical there. Did you feel, or did, and did you think, Dan, that Jonathan Marchessault was going to get the con Smythe? Because, I mean, to me, there were four guys. Aiden Hill, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, and especially Mark Stone, to me, came fully into the picture when he got the hat trick. But I thought the same thing with Jonathan Marchessault. And deep inside me, I wanted him to get it an original misfit, a guy that didn't score a goal in the first round against, you know, in the first round of the playoffs, and then look what he does the rest of the way. It was nothing but magical. Yes, uh, finishes the postseason on a ten-game scoring streak, which is longer than any scoring streak in Golden Knights playoff history. He's the franchise leader in basically everything, regular season and postseason now. And a hat trick in the playoffs. Obviously, Mark Stone got one in the clincher. By the way, this is just unbelievable. There hadn't been a hat trick in a Stanley Cup clinching game in a hundred years wow. since before the NHL was the de facto place for the Cup. It was still in the challenge era 
1922. Anyway, uh, I, I, to get back to your, your question, it's a good one. Um, I, uh, as much as I strain my objectivity when I come to speak about Jonathan Marsha so, because he and I have known each other for, geez, a dozen years, uh, I had thought for a while Jack Eichel was the guy because he, even though he hadn't scored since the second round against the Oilers, he was still producing points on a night-in-and-night basis. Um, he was the force behind the Golden Knights offense, but he was still making great plays in the defensive zone. He was just a driver for the team, and he really came into his own in his first full year as a Golden Knight. Uh, there was that blip that he and really much of the team had that first playoff game against the Jets. But after that, you know, you could say that Jack Eichel was on every game. Uh, so I thought for a while it would be Jack. But then, um, you know, he and Marcia, so, of course, are on the same line with Ivan Barbashev, so good. And Jack ends up being the guy who uh, finishes uh, second in scoring in the entire postseason, meeting points, but uh, tied for most in goals. And uh, I just thought it was the best hockey I'd ever seen him play. I brought that up to him. I, I, I'll put it to you this way. I could have asked to interview anyone before Game 5 uh, for our pregame show, and uh, I... I asked to interview Jonathan, which uh, he uh, so, so graciously agreed to do because things were going on. And I guess that gives you a sense of what I thought. Uh, I thought he would win it. And the, the last little bit, I, you know, Stone had a great finish, of course, uh, with the hat trick in the final. But the Consmite voters have to submit their choices, and they pick three, one, two, and three in order, uh, with 10 minutes to go in the game. They, they cannot wait until the game ends to submit those votes. So, in other words, people had to cast their votes before Mark Stone had his hat trick. Now, you look at the voting, and you see the only people who got first-place votes were Marcia So and Eichel, and it, it wasn't all that close. And I think that the voters made the right choice. And the voters are uh, hockey writers, the Professional Hockey Writers Association. About a couple of dozen people make that call, and uh, I think they got it right. I think Marcia So, as much as Jack was a force, uh, it still, to me, was Jonathan Marchessault playing his very best hockey in, um, you know, in a very impactful way. Uh, he was just, uh, you know, he kept his engine humming at peak performance for the entire, I'm going to say, final 80% of the games if they played 22. Uh, like I said, the team didn't have the greatest start in that first round, but you, know, you could see just uh, he got better and better and just finished, as I said, on a 10-game scoring streak, which, as I say it out loud, is, you know, we just kind of throw that on. Like a 10-game scoring streak doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often uh, in Golden Knights history. It, it hadn't happened. It was remarkable. What Jonathan did, talking about Mark Stone, Jack Eichel is funny because when Jonathan, when they mentioned, when they announced him as the Conn Smythe winner, he was standing next to Jack Eichel and he immediately turned to him and said, it's because of you. And and that I thought was really cool. How many passes, how many times Jack Eichel set up Jonathan March. So, and, uh, you know, it's funny, Jack Eichel set up everybody and, and almost came, you know, came away with the playoff points leader, but Jonathan was right there as well. And you talk about a great story. You know, for those of you out there that don't know, read the story about Jonathan Marchessault's road to the NHL and to the Golden Knights. Read the story about Aiden Hill and what he did to get to where he's at right now. And another great story, a guy that we'll see back next year, Logan Thompson. Great stories all around this team. Dan Duva, a great story himself, and I really appreciate you, Dan. Last thought, Dan, we've got about 30 seconds, but on the parade, what did you think of the parade? And I said, I enjoyed it, I laughed, but I thought maybe they should hold off giving the guys alcohol till after the parade. <laughs> well, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, it was great. And you mentioned Logan Thompson. I happened to be on the float with him. Uh, you know, it was just amazing. I mean, there was just amazement uh, from uh, all of the guys. And then to see the, you know, tens of thousands of people along the parade route and then at Toshiba Plaza afterward, um, you know, you kind of dream about that stuff. You know, I mentioned earlier New York and the Canyon of Heroes. And, you know, here's the strip. It's the most famous uh, mile-and-a-half stretch of road in, in North America, if not the world. And to see all the people who came out just <laughs> was all the smiles, uh, just all the cheering. It was just wonderful to share with everybody. And I, I did have a bottle of uh, champagne sprayed in my face. And then Todd Pollock, the ticket manager guy, he dumped one of those mango seltzers on me after the parade. So I think I still smell like mango. <laughs> That's outstanding. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, there's not enough adjectives or an adjective I can think of to describe my feeling and other people in the media standing on that platform yesterday are feeling about it. It was overwhelming would be the understatement of the century, but it was really, really cool. I loved it. Uh, just an incredible run. And like I said, these things are I, I, they're checked off my bucket list, but I had to add them and then check them off because who would think anything like this could ever happen. He is Dan Duva, play-by-play voice on the radio network of the Vegas Golden Knights. Has been since the inception. Hope we've got him here for a long time. Dan, again, I really appreciate you taking time out this morning to join the show. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you very much. Appreciate the kind words and Enjoy the offseason. Go Knights, go. Thanks, uh, Dan Duva. We'll jump right over now on uh, on the um, on StreamYard with us and also on the Residential Bank Corp studio line. Mark Anderson uh, joins the show. And uh, Mark, are, uh, you're... Uh, here we are, your first year. You know, Mark's been in Vegas forever covering sports with the Review Journal for years and years. Recently, this past October, took a job in October 22 with the Associated Press. And Mark has uh, done a tremendous job, and he gets assigned to all the big things that happen here in Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights being one of them. Mark, did you ever dream that in your first year on assignment that uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights that they'd win a Stanley Cup? Oh, is he with us? Oh, I don't know if Mark's on the show yet. I don't know if Mark uh, Spencer sent then. Uh, okay, well, uh, hopefully we'll get Mark on in a second. I don't know if what ha- what happened with that, but um, Chris, uh, I-, I can say it to you. You've been here. You've been here since day one, like I have. And that first year, you know, there was zero expectations. I really did expect this team to be a bottom dweller in the National Hockey League. I think everybody did, and it's not because you know I only knew a handful of players. I knew who James Neal was. I knew who David Perron was. Obviously, I knew who Mark Andre Fleury was, but not a lot of them. They were news to me, and I thought, you know, yeah, it's not that they're bad players. These guys are all NHL players, but it's getting together, learning to play together on a team when you all come in you're all kind of bitter you just get thrown into this expansion draft and here you are and uh wow is all i can say a guy like Braden mcnab who knew he would turn out to be a guy that you're never going to see pile up on the stat sheet but a guy that is so vitally important to the success of this team yeah i think mcnab and Braden pahal are the only and ben hutton i think are the only three guys and and pahal and 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 hutton only played like three games total so uh, McNabb, I think, was the only guy who didn't score a goal. But, man, his contributions in so many other areas are, are pretty incredible. Like, what he does defensively, is is it's an art. And he's a guy, you know what, it's funny, because he was one of the first guys they brought out with Derek England, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Jason Garrison. I think, I think the date was June 22nd of 2017. And I talked to Braden about that. And he, he said, you know, at that point, my concern was just even making this team. And he was healthy scratched a, a, a quite a few times in those first 10, 12 games. And once he was inserted into the lineup, 
He wasn't coming out. Like, outside of injury, Brady McNabb has never been a healthy scratch outside of those first few games in year one. But what amazes me is the the job that Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee have done together. As, as far as, look, they, they have made a lot of moves over the years. They've traded away very popular players. Max Pacioretty, obviously Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, you know, they let John Merrill walk, who was a crowd favorite. But it was the moves that they made to bring guys in who just fit what they were looking to do. Well, that, like, it, like it, Dan it, just it, talked about, Chris, character. Yeah, they looked but, but, for but, character but guys. Not, but, like, there was a point where people were like, who is Michael Amadio? Why is he even on the team? Right, Michael Amadio scored a goal in, in, in game five. There was there was the, the how is Brett Howden full time now like yeah, a full time yeah, yeah. Golden like, Knights like that's the thing like people talk like like Brett Howden that's a move that was very under the radar mm-hmm. the move for Aiden Hill like you're like oh they gave up a fourth round well, you remember like, Chris when I brought him I up did. I, you I, were like you were like wow yeah he's not gonna who you know yeah. why would we want him yeah and and look a year I later, felt the same way though I mean but like the thing is like the only time we had ever seen like like I I talked about this with Ryan and Darren the other day. Like, the only time we had ever seen Aiden Hill play at T-Mobile Arena was in mop-up duty when someone like Martin Jones was getting pulled or Darcy Kemper was getting pulled when he was with the Coyotes. And you're looking around and you're saying, wait a minute, Aiden Hill, this guy? And then it's like, wait a minute, now he's a Stanley Cup champion rocking the UNLV jersey at the parade. Chris, arguably, I mean, what 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 Bobrovsky did in the postseason was magical. But Aiden but, Hill was but better. A- that I was just about to say, Aiden Hill was probably the best goaltender in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And you're talking yeah. about a guy only in his late, just entering his late 20s, so he's got some time left. A guy that really has been kind of overlooked, hidden in obscurity, a late bloomer. If you read about Aiden Hill, he was a late bloomer, a guy that was never really looked at by anybody, and all of a sudden he grows and he turns into this guy that's like six four, and they're like, okay, this guy is starting. To, he's an NHL goaltender, but how good is he going to be? And you know, I mentioned lightning in a bottle earlier, and I'll ask our guests in the future, but when they come on in a little bit, but. I at first I thought okay Jonathan Quick came up he had the best game of his career the night they acquired Jonathan Quick and I thought okay that was ins- that inspired him but it carried on and then he goes down Laura Brossois becomes the guy that looks like he's going to lead them through the playoffs Brossois goes down Hill comes back and a lot of people are thinking why is Hill coming back why doesn't he give Jonathan Quick a shot I'm not going to say I wasn't one of them that thought you know maybe just in the transition Bruce Cassidy, of course, that's why you don't question a coach that knows what he's doing. He puts Aiden Hill back between the pipes. And, you know, one of only a handful of goaltenders that that, that lasted beyond two rounds of the playoffs that did not get pulled in one single game. Two shutouts for this guy in the postseason, nearly three. And, Chris, there were some saves that he made were that were among the best saves I've ever seen in my life. And I'll tell you right now, I've said it many times, I sound like a broken record, I would love... Love to be Aiden Hill's agent right now. Well, I mean, you talk about the saves. The paddle save that he had in the same net where Braden Holpe denied Alex Tuck. Right? That, same was, save. that was a series-changing save by Holtby, and it was probably a series-changing save by Aiden Hill. The The glove save he made on Anthony Duclair in Game 5 was was incredible. Look, you know, the, the, the funny thing is we, we had this conversation before the playoffs started. Who do the Golden Knights need to have in net? And I made the comment they could play anybody because they were all really good goalies. They were all good enough to help this team win. And you know, I'm very happy for Aiden Hill. Like he, it, it, he was one of he. It's funny because they have their their charity golf tournament at the beginning of the year, 
And I happened to walk into the country club. I think it's Bears Best where they have it. It's up here off of Flamingo. But I, I happened to walk in the same time as Aiden Hill. I didn't know who he was. And he's like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And he gave me a, you know, a, a handshake. And he didn't say who he was. He was just a friendly, happy guy. And I'm like, okay, who's this dude? Like, I didn't know. And then all of a sudden, preseason starts, and I see Aiden Hill. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the guy who came up to me and said hello at the golf tournament. Like, I don't know if he thought I was a, one, of, one of the guys playing or if he, if he, you know, he probably had no idea who I was. But, I mean, I was happy for him because it was like he seemed like a genuinely nice guy. And I think he's a fun guy. But I just love how he's so relaxed. And, you know, they were talking about it in the broadcast, how he would – he would hang out and he would he would just chill on the on the on the goal during you know other change you know when when the puck puck is in the other end of the ice and I don't know man it, it it's just a culmination of six years of hard work by these guys and I mean the front office uh, six years of hard work by Bill Foley to get this right and the biggest knock for the longest time was well they don't have a third line. There's not one weakness on this roster, Brian. Like, like you look at, at from from their first line center down to their seventh D man. There's not one weakness. Like watching they, the Stanley Cup playoffs, Chris. I am telling you right now, ninety percent, ninety five percent of the teams Bluegers playing every day. Yeah, and and Phil Kessel seeing the ice. Ben Hutton might see the yeah, ice. Like, like that's I the mean, thing. these like, are guys that didn't play. Paul Cotter probably sees the ice for half the teams in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the that's the incredible thing. Like. We we got to talk to to the front office George McPhee and and Kelly McCrimmon the other day, and my question to Kelly McCrimmon was about the move for Barbashev. Like at the trade deadline, you have all these big names going right. Like where's Patrick Kane going to go? Oh my God, is he going to go to the Rangers? Oh, he's not suiting up. He's not playing. Where's Jacob Chikrin going to go? Blah blah blah. Well, meanwhile, the Golden Knights are making a move that I, I think kind of went under the radar. And that was the Barbashev trade, right? Like, okay, well, he won in St. Louis, but he really wasn't a, a, a key contributor on that team. And, oh, he's a third, fourth-line guy at best. Brian, I don't think they win the Stanley Cup without the move for Ivan Barbashev. Like, he completed the team. He was the... the, the no, that's what I said at the beginning of the show, Chris. Yeah, like, like, he may have been the best player oh, acquired at the zero, trading deadline for any team out there. There is zero doubt about yeah. it that, that that was the best Number trade 10 in points in the postseason like, of all NHL players. You know what? The Rangers could keep Patrick Kane. I'll take Ivan Barbashev. I, I love the guy, and he fit right in. You could tell yeah, the players all they, loved they him right him, immediately. And, you know, he he's he's because a, a couple of the Russian players that have been here have been very – it's not a knock – I just think you know there, there's there's the the language barrier, and I think they have a hard time adjusting to the media here. Ivan Barbashev was was very personable. He was he was willing to talk to the media. He was friendly. Like there was just a difference in him personality wise, and he seemed to fit right away with guy like like, and and maybe having Alex Petrangelo as a teammate again helped. Certainly, I'm sure. Yep, but. I mean, like, like you look around, like you re-signed Alec Martinez a couple years ago. Well, why would you know? Oh my God, well, Alec Martinez, the guy only does things in big games, right? Like you talk about. I, I heard last night that he has the most goals for a defenseman in the act in, in like the Stanley Cup. Well, I mean, the bottom, the bottom line is the guy is going to go down as one of the greatest shot blockers in NHL yeah, like history. Like, you look at some of the goals Every that he scored. Every year, he leads like, the league. If, if they don't give up that cheapie to Florida to make it 
eight to three or whatever it was, seven to three. Yeah, at the he time. scores two of the go- three he, of the game winning goals. He he would have had a game winning goal again in a Stanley Cup yeah. clinching game because yeah. he did it for L.A. Yeah, against the Rangers, yeah, he had one against the Rangers, yeah, and, and he Cup. had a, he had a, a Western Conference winning goal against the Blackhawks. Yeah. So I mean, I was hoping that that was going to be the case, but quite frankly, the 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 idea that the winning goal for the Golden Knights that won them the Stanley Cup. Like, had they not scored any more goals that game, was the William Carlson between the legs pass for Riley Smith to bury it. I mean, against Florida, it was the original misfits, you know, to be able to to, to be the guys who who contribute on that series-winning goal. Like, it's just, you you couldn't write a better script, like... And and William Carlson last night he was living it man he was he was living his best life and Riley Smith was was talking about maybe I retire I don't think I don't think Riley Smith's retiring I think he could calm down he's got another two years left on his contract I don't think he's going to be retiring he did joke with me that he may have to raise the price of the softball tickets for. Uh, for this this year, <laughs> you know, Chris uh, Spence, if you if you've got some of the interviews, I I, I do want to get to them. Um, and we're, we're have some difficulties with Streamyard and our guests, so we'll work on that. But in the meantime, um, I did have a chance, as I mentioned, you know, Shea Theodore. It was pretty cool when he first came up, and we've talked about it on the show before. When I got a chance to interview him, right when he came back up, and he made that comment that he was never going to go back down, and that was the first question I asked him. But uh, here is if, if Spence, if you've got it, play the interview with uh, Shea Theodore. You know, you started, you went down to Chicago at the beginning. I talked to you right after. You probably won't remember it. You said you were never going back. Yeah. You never did go back. And look what's happened. How great is this? Yeah, it's awesome. I actually talked to George McPhee and he apologized for that. Um, but, um, no, it, it was it was a process that I had to do. And, you know, it's all worth it now. So. Is this team everything you thought it would be this year? Starting the year, you know, questions in goal, everything else. Did you expect this kind of run? Um, I mean, it, the, the different pieces that came together, I mean, picking up barbs at the deadline with Teddy and, you know, adding Quickie and having Phil added to the group. I mean, it's it's just a special, it's, it's just, it's hard to describe the special group that we have. Finally, defense wins championships. We've been hearing that forever. And this team was really geared as a defensive team. And then that last line of defense for guys like Will Swat Hilly to step up the way they did at the end. How special is that? Yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy how everything came together. I mean, we gelled really well. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're obviously looking to do it again. I mean, but for now, we're going to soak it in and um, enjoy every second. How do you not like a guy like Shea Theodore? I mean, this is a guy that just, you know, the tenacity and over the past couple of years, we have watched him morph from a guy that didn't make the opening day roster in 2017 to one of the best two-way defensemen in the National Hockey League. A guy that's got as good of a shot from the point as probably anybody and just a sniper, a guy that can play sniper, a guy that can play on, you know, that can play on special teams and help you out. And no matter who he you pair him with, he is going to help the guy on the other side of him, that's who Shea Theodore is. A special player, a special talent, and one of the guys, again, that was just overlooked and not realized what kind of potential he had, and now we see it, and, uh, and, and he's magical. I mean, you look at the defensemen on this team, the six defensemen, that is such a hard lineup to crack. I mean, all the way down to a guy like Zach Whitecloud or uh, Nicholas Haig, who would probably be considered the last of the six defensemen. You've talked about it, Chris, on the 
show before, but I don't know anybody that I've met in sports. Nobody likes to lose. Zach Whitecloud hates to lose. And that's what makes him such a valuable player. He is a guy that wants to be out there, and all he cares about is helping this team to find a way to win. Yeah, Zach is one of those guys where he will tell you straight up that, that he doesn't play to lose the game. And, you know... It, it takes a guy like that, right? Because without that mentality, Zach Whitecloud's probably not in the NHL, right? Like he's a guy who was undrafted, went to college. Un, un, that is pure heart. Yeah, like like he played at Bemidji State, which is a smaller school in Minnesota. But I remember when they signed him, and, and I remember watching him play, and I'm like, man, I, how is this guy like not drafted? Like it's it's amazing to me how how all these teams missed the mark on a guy like him. But you know, it, it's. Their, their blue line is obviously the strength, but I think, I mean, I, I know there there were kind of mumblings about it last night about a potential repeat, and I mean, I'll be honest, Brian, if this team stays together and they stay healthy, there's no reason to think that they can't make another run at this because the blue line, yeah, a year older, but man, they're so good and so deep. I mean, guys like Caden Korzak, Braden Pahal, Ben Hutton, maybe they're playing on other teams in the league, but... They, they they couldn't crack the lineup here. I mean, like like to me, Caden Korzak, when I watch him play, I'm like, man, this kid's good. But well, a lot of these guys, I mean, look at Yuri Patera, the couple of yeah, games he, he came played in two at goal. games. He got a shutout in one of them. I mean, and, I mean and like the thing is, like, Brian, like people may forget that when they look back. And it's one of those things where he was the he was the emergency goalie. Like, he was the third goalie for this run. Yeah. Like, had something happened to Aiden Hill and Quick had to come in, Yuri Patera would have been on the bench for the Golden Knights. Pretty crazy. So, um, you know, I, I guess we got we got Steve Carp. I, I don't know. Spencer's texting me. Maybe saying to call him, I think, or something like that, uh, because... Um uh, we're having troubles, a little bit of trouble with StreamYard tonight. But no, Chris, you, you're right. Uh, you know, it, it, the, this is such a deep team and a team that is going to uh, succeed for potentially years to come if they stay together. It was kind of funny. You could tell Bruce Cassidy was a little schnockered too because he made the comment about uh, he made a comment about the first thing he says back to back. He's trying to get the crowd to cheer. That it was pretty cool. I also got a chance to talk to Nicholas Y after the game, and this was a pretty cool interview. Although I did ask him, I'm like, hey, did you expect to blow out? Uh, you know, did you expect to blow out? Florida in the final game where he said no, but the, we'll, we got Steve Carpenter. Well, before we get to him, real quickly, play the interview with Nicholas Wah. So, Nick, it's over. You guys won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Um, it's unbelievable, right? That's what you dream about your your whole life. Um, doing so, celebrating with my family, there's no better feeling. How great is it to win it here? I mean, I know you almost had that sweep, and you win those first two games, you go there. You know, you want to clean up, but the fact that you get to come back here and win it in front of this crowd, what was that like? Well, it makes it even better, right? Uh, they've been supporting us the whole year. They were really loud all year, uh, especially tonight. It was unbelievable. So winning in front of them was uh, really, uh, really nice for sure. This final game it was just one-sided. Did you guys expect that? I mean, I know they're missing some chop that hurt, but did you expect it to be this one-sided this last game? No, obviously. Obviously, they've, they've had a good team all series. Uh, they've been pushing. Uh, thank you. Uh, it could have been a, a little tighter if Dilsey was really good early on. So, uh, but I'm really proud of uh, this on the boys. 
And Nicholas Watt, as happy as can be, all of them had that uh, that just that look, that happy look on their face. They were great. Listen, joined right now on the Residential Bank Corp Fox Sports Studio line is um, Steve Carps joining us right now. And Steve, of course, is Las Vegas columnist for the Sporting Tribune. Steve is another one of those guys like me and Chris that have been there since day one. Back initially started covering it for the Las Vegas Review Journal, a couple of entities. And Steve's been there since day one again. Steve, amazing, a guy like Bill uh, Bill. Foley says, you know, I want this team to win a cup in, in, in six years. You know, you hear that, you think at first, you know, it's kind of rhetoric. I mean, let's be realistic. This is an expansion team. Six years is pretty quick, and here we are sitting here uh, a day a, a day removed from uh, the Stanley Cup final parade. You know, when I think back to when he said it, it dawned on me that he must have known something that the rest of us didn't. That being the rules that the NHL set up to give him a fighting chance to succeed with his franchise. It kind of gets overlooked in this whole thing, Brian, that when the NHL decided to expand again, and they hadn't done it in 20, you know, it's 15, 16 years, I think it was Columbus and Minnesota, they realized that if we're going to charge a half a billion dollars to join the club, we should give this team and the ownership a chance to succeed. And sure enough, this whole journey that the Golden Knights have been on is due in a large part to the fact that George McPhee, then the general manager, and Kelly McCribbin, who was his assistant at the time, really fleeced a few of these GMs to build this roster. The fact that there's still six guys from six years ago is kind of remarkable when you think about the way free agency and the salary cap and all the things that go into building a roster that they have this many guys and, and going forward, more importantly, the core of this team is in place to defend the cup. Yeah, they they look really good. They look like they are in place. And as you mentioned, you know, they've just gotten character guys. And that production line from the first year, which was the first line put together that stayed together, they've tried separating them. They were able to successfully separate two of them this year uh, with Marcheseau playing on the first line. But, you know, that that line of Jonathan Marcheseau, uh, William Carlson, and Riley Smith, as you said, it's amazing. But those really are the character players, the original misfit, one of the greatest first lines of an expansion team in history and it's cool to still see see them here now and you know as Chris and I talked about a guy like Shea Theodore getting let go at the beginning of the first season and sent to the AHL Chicago squad a couple weeks later comes up he's never gone back down and all he's done is morphed into one of the best two-way defensemen in the National Hockey League and you know and a guy like William Carrier that you know has been a guy kind of a, a bigger dude where is he going to fit where is he going to fit he's a guy you would might have thought at the very beginning wouldn't be here in two years. He has improved his game to the point that he had his best offensive production season ever. Is one of the one of the tougher guys in front of the net. Always and loves his little wraparound, but he has turned into one of these character guys that is also a staple of the Vegas Golden Knights and somebody that they count on. You know, it's it, it's just been incredible. It really has what this team has done. Steve, the, the, probably the most incredible story of the Stanley Cup final, the Stanley Cup playoffs final, the, the entire thing was. 
was the play of Aiden Hill. You know, at the very beginning when he started playing really well, a lot of people are, you know, and I keep saying the cliche of lightning in a bottle, but that's kind of what it seemed like. He proved throughout the course of the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, he was the best goalie in this year's playoffs. And I said to Chris many times, I've been saying it to a lot of people, how would you like to be his agent right now? <laughs> He's going to get paid, that's for sure. No yeah. question about that. I, I think this is a classic case of being presented with an opportunity and taking advantage of it. Because when he came in for Laurent Rossois in Game 2 at Edmonton, and he kind of got a feel for what it's like to play playoff hockey. Remember, he had never been in a playoff game before in, in his time in Arizona and San Jose. So I thought that was a key moment for the team in the playoffs because he played a you know, he played some in game two, and then it was his net. He got comfortable. The guys in front of him played really well for the most part, other than a hiccup here or there. And I thought he was worthy of being the Conn Smythe Trophy winner, to tell you the truth. Nothing against Marcheseau, nothing against Eichel or Stone, who got a lot of votes. They don't win the cup without Aiden Hill. Oh, no, there's no doubt, Steve. I said the same thing. I said they could have made it easy on themselves because you really did have a choice. Eichel being the playoff points leader, and I mean, you know, so we saw when Mark so got the consmite, the first thing he did was turn to, to Jack Eichel and thank him and said it's because of you. I mean, and I thought that was a pretty class move, but it could have gone to Eichel, could have gone to Stone, um, could, it could have definitely gone to Aiden Hill. I think Mark so was the recipient tied with uh, with uh, Drysaitel with the leading goals with 13, and I think being an original misfit, I think all those things probably weighed into the decision of the people that voted for the con Smythe. And again, as we just heard from Dan Duva, they, they voted 10 minutes before the game ended, so it was before yeah. Mark Stone got his hat trick. That might have changed the opinion of a few people, but I don't think so. I think March or so, it was, you know, I, I think it was his, especially when you look at the fact he didn't score a goal in the first series, and then that run of just points in every game is an unprecedented run that may never be matched again in Golden Knights history was really, really cool. Before I let you go, Steve, your prediction for this team going forward and who is in net to start the 2023 season? Well, as I wrote as I wrote the other day in the Sporting Tribune, there's no time off for Kelly McCrimmon. He's got to figure out a couple of key things. One, like you said, who's going to play goal for that next year? Is it going to be Robin Leonard? Logan Thompson apparently will be ready to go for training camp. But Aiden Hill made, I think, $2.45 million this year. He's going to deserve and get a pretty substantial bump. I don't know if they can afford him. The other component in all this is Ivan Barbashev, who absolutely needs to stay here. And he wants to stay. But again, he's going to command a considerably higher salary than the two point six or two point seven million he made this year. So the UFA mark is going to be very interesting for the Golden Knights. And if Robin Leonard is going to play, then I guess Aiden Hill's going to be moving on probably. If he doesn't, then they've got some hard decisions to make. It's going to be really interesting in the coming weeks to see how they handle free agency. 
starting on July 1st. I couldn't agree with you more. The guy not mentioned, Laurent Brossois, another guy had a great series, but you got to look at him, another guy with no playoff experience before this year, and he is 30 years old, and I think that's the reason people aren't talking about him. Recovered from hip surgery, but at 30 years old and now got hurt again, we'll see what, what's going to happen with him. But, I, you know, he's going to get an opportunity as well. He is Steve Karp, Las Vegas columnist for the Sporting Tribune. Steve, sorry about the technical difficulties, but happy we were able to get you on. Yeah, me too, Brian. Glad to talk with you again. It's been a while. Absolutely. We'll have you on again. Uh, once again, Steve Carp. And here, final thoughts real quick, uh, Chris. Um, this was magical. It was unbelievable. I feel so blessed and happy that I, along with you, a good friend of mine, got to be a part of this for so long. It was really, really cool. Yeah, my final thought, you know, six years of hard work, not just by the team, but by the media, to make sure we got things right, you know, day in, day out. And... You know, to be able to celebrate on the ice with guys that I've built relationships over the last six years, William Carlson, Brady McNabb, um, you know, some of the newer guys like Paul Cotter got to meet his mom, who's an, who's a sweet, sweet lady. And, his, you know, Paul Cotter made sure to tell me how great of a player his brother was. You know, I love me from Michigan. Yeah, great kid. Great yep, kid. Love it. This one out of time. My, my final thoughts are the Golden Knights are going to be a tough team to beat in the future. I think Logan Thompson will be the starting goaltender next year. Aces play tonight at 6. Aviators play today at 12. That's all we've got time for. I'm not talking about the U.S. Open because I didn't get to see it yesterday. I recorded it. Out of line, we'll be back next week. We appreciate you. Want to thank, of course, uh, Dan Duva and Steve Carp and, of course, Chris Chapman and Spencer for helping me out. I'm Brian Feldman. Out of line. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.